Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Quarcast. This is episode six. It's Friday, May first, twenty twenty. I'm Owen Newkirk. On the other side of the computer screen is Sean Shapiro. We're looking at each other. Of course, this is just a podcast. You can't hear it or hear or you can't see us. So you can enjoy what Sean and I can see, which are the lovely backgrounds in our respective media slash office rooms in our homes. But Sean, uh, we love to get off to digressions immediately. May 1st, is it? Is it just me or did April go by rapidly whereas it seemed like March would never end? Um, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know, actually. That's a, I mean, I feel like they're both rather long. I mean, I feel like March went, would never, I felt like March never ended. And yes. I feel like April also was rather long, too, but it wasn't as long because, <laughs> um, because it didn't have that motion. It didn't have that. There was never kind of that anchor event of, hey, I actually went to an NHL game this month. Yeah, April. good point. So I, th- I think really that's what made March feel long was like, you'd be like, we would be like two weeks into court. You'd be a week into quarantine. You'd be like, man, just 10 days ago, I was at an NHL game. And that felt like it was, you felt like, I think kind of the, the uh, major nature of the events in March made that feel larger, I think. Yeah, it definitely, uh, and we were just getting used to the idea yeah. of, a, of a lockdown, whereas April, you're sort of, I guess, more or less in the swing of things, if that's mm. fair to say. So, yeah. speaking of which, for much of March and April, we shared both on our Quarcast and also off it, a gut feeling of, I'm not so sure if we're going to see any more NHL hockey. There was lots of talk about what possibilities could lie out there and how they would use it, and maybe the methods of which you could finish a season or playoffs, and different ideas were floated. But during most of that talking out of the last five weeks or so, neither one of us have said, boy, I'm pretty sure they're going to be playing games. That seemed to change a bit in the, the gut feeling floating around this past week, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, kind of it's, once again, the biggest thing we need to just kind of put out there first is nothing has been decided yet. That's the big, that's the big <laughs> we thing, are obviously. Again. I mean, because the NHLPA even went out, NHL and the NHLPA even issued that statement earlier this week just to kind of say, look, world, nothing's been decided yet. But, I mean, we're, we've reached the point of there's the vibe, I'll call it a vibe, and a feeling that... Whether it's the right decision or not, and that can be debated by many people in many different ways, whether it's the right decision or not, I think we are going to have NHL playoff games and a Stanley Cup um, and a Stanley Cup awarded for the 2019-20 season. What that looks like, and, and, and there's still many moving parts, but I, I, we've, we've reached the point where we've seen the decision makers at the top have worked towards the NHL and the NHLPA have built a committee to look into how we can come to play again. Uh, And then the other big thing about all of this, and just, this is a big thing that kind of drives really drives the world in a way when, when once again, right or wrong is there's too much money left on the table for owners that are getting rocked right now. Team owners and teams are getting rocked by this global pandemic. There's too much money on the table to not try to come back and play and not get something done uh, even without fans, because there won't be fans. I mean, we, that's even though right. once again that hasn't been finalized, but we're pretty much we I, we can pretty say pretty confidently there won't be fans in the building. Uh, 
we can have that we're going to see a point where owners are going to say, I need, there's whether it's $250 million or $400 million that comes into league, that money, we need that money and we need to come back and play. And so for that reason, we've kind of reached that, that feeling and the player, you you get that feeling talking to players now too, where they're looking at, okay, we're going to play. We're going to probably start mobilizing a little bit later, later. We're in May now a little bit later, later this month. So, um, I, I think we're. I, I feel rather confident. There's going to be a Stanley Cup now. Now, um, what it looks like and how it gets viewed in the long term future is a whole other discussion. But yes, but it, it, it's it's reached that point where it's gone from I was pretty confident nothing was going to happen to now I, I was rather confident nothing was going to happen to the point where I think I, I'm now kind of I think something will happen. So the big change for me in terms of my gut feeling happened. Partly because of your conversation with Stars General Manager Jim Nill, which you uh, wrote an article up about earlier this week. And it wasn't just what Jim said because we've been seeing it from other people. Obviously, your colleague at at The Athletic and TSN, Pierre Lebrun, has been doing a lot of regular league reporting. And some other national NHL writers have also sort of echoed this. But Jim Nill said, you know, they started throwing out a possible target window for teams to open facilities. To me, that was the first step because prior to this week, we've said, well, you know, you've heard all these, hey, we're throwing this idea around. Let's talk about should we host a draft or not before the season resumed. But it was always, well, you know, we got to get to the facilities being open so players can start to train and maybe skate in small groups at some point. Now, and Jim Neal even was one of the ones who said this, was they're talking about even a potential for mid to late May of that happening, which is sort of the phase two, is taking players uh-huh. out of out of self-quarantine into being able to, at least in small groups, go to the team facilities, work out, and maybe skate in a small group of, of five to ten players. And so to me, every before this point, from March 12th when they paused until this week, this is the first time where they've even put a general idea of a, of a timetable for that to happen. And that's, to me, a very good sign. Now, it doesn't mean that they're definitely going to do it mid-May or even late May. Things can change on a dime for sure. But it feels like because they actually started to talk about a, you know, within a couple week time window almost, that it it seems more realistic to actually happening. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those where we're at a spot of... We have kind of more actual details that feel finite, and even though everyone says this isn't true, this is not true. This isn't finalized. Right. I've I've talked to players. I've talked to players and interacted with players who are far flung around the world who are looking at. Okay, I'm probably going to need to get back to Dallas by May 15th. I've talked to players with with that sentiment of I get back to Dallas by May 15th, so I can in theory get set up and then start working out in Frisco to be able to start a training camp the first week of June or whatever that may, or, and that training, that, that training camp is, could be, um, at Jim Nill kind of has put more of the timeline has been, has one of the more, uh, been more, been more open with the timeline than a lot of GMs of saying, I think my players need five weeks from the start of phase two to the start of, another season or through the resumption of the season, right. which, and, 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 and to be clear on that. And as, as I wrote this week, what that means is 
Jim looks at it as a point of one to two weeks of individualized training, five to 10 guys at a time, 10 to 20 guys at a time, depending on what you can do. Then three weeks of a training camp before, before game, before games. And, um, Jim is also of the ilk and the, the mindset that they're, that the centralized sites are probably the go-to. Now, there's been, whether, whether that becomes the hub cities right now, we'll use the word hub, that's been kind of the go-to right now, whether that is how they go or not. But I, either way, it looks like we have options A, B, and C, and instead of, and, and none of those options are, well, we're not going to play. That's kind of the world we're right. progressing in. So. so. You have a couple weeks of phase two, which for those, again, who aren't following our model, it would be facilities open, players working out and doing so, small groups. So and yeah, then, to, put, to, to, put some, to put some names to it, just to kind of give people a little bit more of a better uh, – um, to, to do a uh, – to, to put a better kind of face on it so people understand, just to imagine what those two weeks would be is you have five to ten guys in. They'd show up. They'd work out with a Jelly who is – why can I not remember his real name? It's, it's Brad Jealous. Yeah, Brad Jealous. I mean, I was just calling him Jelly. It, it started <laughs> strength. Started strength. They work out with Brad Jealous, probably in groups to five to ten. You probably have five to ten guys go out on the ice with the skating coach or with Stan Tuglikov just to kind of get uh, just to kind of get going. And then you work to, and once you work from that, and you get guys up to kind of a health level. Okay, now we can go compete on the ice in, in a training camp, and and then we then we move from there. So, but here's here's the thought, okay? Um, again, this is just a rough outline. Yeah. We're just playing with this. Let's say mid to late May is feasible. Let's say that that happens. So you do that for a couple of weeks, and then you have a... I mean, most of the, the reporting this week was a three- to four-week training camp. A lot of teams yeah. talking about three seems to be the big number, but could be more. But let's say three weeks. So it's, if it's a, as Jim Neal said, a five-week total. Yeah, yeah. That puts you into a potential return to playing games if, indeed, it's regular season or playoffs as early to mid-July. <laughs> and the reason why I, I, I talked this out is because the other thing that was kind of a big deal this week, and I want to talk more about the hub model in a moment, but the... NHL and Commissioner Gary Bettman mentioned that they were fine with the idea of pushing back the start of next season, which would be the 2021 season, to as late as December if they needed to. Because remember, usually you start in early October, and uh, this is a possibility where instead of saying, well, we've got to cram this in so we can start in early October... They basically are showing, and this is another example of why it seems like it's more and more not just a possibility, but most realistically going to happen in some form or another, that they're going to conclude the season without just canceling it, like they like some of the soccer leagues in Europe have started to do. And it looks like they are willing to stretch if they have to go July, August, September, yeah. give a, a month off in October, even a, you know another camp in November, if they had to start later into December and finish the season at some point, they'll want to catch up and recalibrate their calendar, but they they seem very willing to get it done. No, very, very much so. It's something where the there's definitely, and I've talked to people who they look at the current NHL schedule where they believe they could start a 2021 season in December, 
get 82 games in, and it won't look that different with the end time frame. You can take away the bye weeks. You can take away the All-Star game. It would be a more condensed schedule, and you might have some battle there between the NHL and the NHLPA, but you look at what the owners and they're talking about is this is a strange time, and so we can deal with a strange a strange year to get back onto to normal. The other thing that's, and this is just a quick 30-second aside, and I, I want to leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> you know that's very hard for us. No, 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 but I want to leave it at that. <laughs> one, one, one thing that maybe I think some people may not realize about um, – you and I obviously are big soccer fans, so we know more about the. We, we, we pay attention to we, we we watch the Premier League. We pay attention to those leagues over there for just for the quick thirty second update for people who don't pay attention to your international soccer. There is no playoff system, right? There, there's there's no playoff system, so it's not like we're talking about in. It's not like we're talking about league saying, um, they they just it's the champion is just based off the regular season table, and so. There's no playoff structure to try and force into, and so I think that's something just to keep in mind when you look at the differences between how things are are constructed. So, like if 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 a internet if a European soccer league had a big shrine piece that was worth so much of its income, they may not be canceling. But that's just a quick aside. Right. Um, except for they yeah. did in the you're you're talking about connecting a season. The Champions yeah. League, which is essentially a club playoff within the year, yeah. the cup competition. I know we don't want to get into this at no, length, we, but we, we don't want to go deep into. But this. to we me, like for example, the FA Cup is like a playoff system that goes on concurrently with the season, yeah. rather than at the end. Yeah. So but, yeah. yeah, I get your point though. You're right. Yeah. It's it's not exactly uh, symmetrical with the NHL, um, mm-hmm. but again, the one thing, and we'll probably talk more about this later, is that. A lot of the gate revenue for the NHL season has already been realized because they've played 70 games of the season, give or take a few per team. Mm -hmm. If this was MLS, which just started and played their first couple of games, they have a lot more uh, at stake of playing the rest of their season without fans or waiting and trying to get fans back in at some point because they haven't realized their schedule yet or baseball is the same way mm-hmm. yeah and, and then there's there's other things though where those leagues have an advantage as far as the timing too where um and this is something i, I published this morning just and it's something i think we may have even mentioned this on the podcast before but it's something that i think was important to put out there because we talk about all the moving parts and the different hurdles that have to be jumped over and one of the things for example is the fact that the NHL, baseball isn't at a point where they are going to worry about players' visas and work permits running out. The MLS isn't that, at that point right now either. No. They're, and so, but this is this is a, this is a hurdle that the NHL and I would assume the NBA has as well. I don't know everything about the NBA, but I would assume this is a hurdle the NBA also has to tackle. Yeah, and they they have a more of an influx of European players as well, so yeah, it, it is more of an issue now than it it was a, a decade ago. Yeah, but this is but this is still more of an NHL issue probably than anything. Probably where you have such a large influx of, of well, it's the only North American sports league where the majority aren't Americans. That's it's, true. It's the, That's true. It's the only one. So right. all of the Canadians also need new visas, and so the Stars have eight guys who are unrestricted or restricted free agents on July first. All of their work visas and work permits in the U.S. expire on June thirtieth. So the stars and every other NHL team has to look at those players whose contract expire and figure out how do we legally get them back into the country. I talked to stars assistant GM Mark Janko about this yesterday. 
And one of the we were talking about Radic Fox just to pick a player, one of the eight uh, pending free agents on the NHL roster right now. Where they bring Radic Fox back from the Czech Republic, can he? What and his work visa expires June thirtieth. When he comes through immigration and comes through customs, and they say, "Well, how long are you staying in the country?" He's not allowed to stay past June thirtieth. Yeah, right that's now. that's not an issue to get him to the facility. It'll be yeah. an issue to get him to resumption of games. But they yeah. will have to deal with that for all, and all the league yeah. will for all those players because every team probably has somebody that fits that. Yeah, the 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 other hub city thing that we can discuss that I think we is is worth probably worth bringing up right now is. <laughs> The concept of what this does to the schedule because right now we've the hub city idea has been thrown out there okay we'll get teams here and there and everything like that but one thing that i kind of stumbled into this week talking to people and looking at things is you're at a spot where these hub cities if it's going to be a central division hub city and we resume the regular season which the stars are one of the teams that believe the regular season should be resumed at some point whether that's 82 or 75 games or whatever sure. the number is it's going to be a central division opponents. And, and that, obviously, is a much different schedule than the Stars would have had for their final 13 games. And uh, the big one, obviously... You can we argue t- it both ways on this one, yeah. right? Yeah, because I, yeah. in one sense, if, let's say, the Stars ended up being the host city, or maybe it's Minnesota, for the central division, and all of the seven central division teams are all located in that same area. My And this is maybe something that was wrong with the way I imagined it. I thought of, okay, there's going to be, you know, two to four. They said somewhere in two to four hub cities. Yeah. You know, seven or eight teams, depending on the – because we don't have a balanced 32 teams yet in the league. In each one, I thought, okay, well, they'll just travel back and forth between those hubs to play the teams on the schedule that they have to play. And that, and that was – I think that was a flaw in my own imagination of it, thinking, oh, well, that's good. But when you start to think about if they want to limit and mitigate issues with travel and spreading stuff, it's no, we're going to basically isolate these teams in these four hubs. So they're only going to play – I mean, again, this isn't official. This is just our speculation yeah. that they're only going to play the teams that are sequestered in that hub city. So let's say Dallas is the host just for a hypothetical yeah. model, and they decide to go with a divisional format rather than – maybe a regional or a, even a assorted one. Rather than playing, they only have two games. So they, they've played 69 games, 13 mm-hmm. games left if they wanted to get to a full 82. They only have two games on their schedule at home against Winnipeg and, and going to Chicago left on that slate. Everything else is Western Conference or Eastern Conference, uh, sorry, Pacific Division or Eastern Conference opponents. And... So, Sean, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. On one side, yes, there's a lot harder strength of schedule if you play just your central division the rest of the way as opposed to the five times they were supposed to play the California teams, which in the past was a a murderer's row, and now suddenly it's the worst teams in the Western Conference in L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose. And then on the other side, it's the fact that it actually would – be a positive in it's a four-point game playing teams that you're directly battling for playoff standings. So wins would be worth more. Of course, conversely, losses would be worth more too. And I I see the benefit when you talk about the four-point game and the value when you're talking about the central division standings. For me, one of the just the big issue becomes when we're talking about wildcard spots and just the type of thing where the Stars are in a spot where 
assuming they come back and play well, this isn't going to be as big of an issue for the Stars. But this is something where if I'm the Winnipeg Jets and the uh, Nashville Predators and the Minnesota Wild, those teams that are trying and surging for those wild, trying to get into those wild card spots right now, and I look at, I have to play St. Louis, I have to play Dallas, I have to play Colorado, I have to play them, while Arizona and Vancouver get to play the California, the three California teams that have been very bad this year, they get to play them a combination of six times or whatever it is. That is when it starts to become, I think, kind of there'll be some sour grapes. I also think it's the type of thing that I don't think it's the type of thing that puts a major asterisk on the whole thing. I think it's just becomes it becomes the type of thing where it, it's tough luck. Like yes. honestly, like, like if if we can come back and play, that's tough luck. Like I, I, I honestly, I think playing a tougher schedule versus not playing at all, it's an easy decision. So, lastly then, if if you weren't going to argue, if you were an NHL team that they're in this discussion discussion phase of how to make this work, and you decided, hey, it's advantageous for us to advocate against a divisional hub system, assuming that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. What would you do, and how would you pitch it? to not have it be that like what how would you divvy up would it be a a split of teams in your conference would it be a a potpourri around the league how do you figure that out if it's not divisional format i mean i I guess the only way to do it would be to the only way to do it would be then we're taking we're not and then we're for me the only way to do that personally is how if you were to say hey i want you to this work but i don't i don't want it to be divisional I'm then just picking the four best sites. I'm not caring about the division. So right. if, the four best, if the four best sites are Central Division teams, just for this argument, say it's Minnesota, Colorado, Nashville, and Dallas, and I'm just picking four. Right, you're just at random. I'm picking four cities. Okay, those four hosts are there. Then we just go, and then and then, I, then what I would do is I would take the host team, and then I would just basically divvy it up based on how teams were in the standings. So what I would do is I would take the four divisions, and so I would take the four host sites and make them the host sites. Those sites are in, take them out. And then I would take the first place team from each division so they would not be in the same place. Huh. And so and then the second place team, and then, and then I would, and then I would put the, and then I would t- put the second place teams in and, and I would put it in a different, and I would put it in a different, and just keep rotating as, as I go down the standing. So you're okay. getting, so you're getting a, of where the standings were, you're getting a relative mix of teams that were good and playoff contenders and teams that were bad. Well, you're talking so, about a real jumble up instead just, of, just, of just it being complete, really yeah. conference-oriented. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying what I would do is I would just pick, okay, I'm picking four teams, I'm picking the four best host sites, that's it. Picking the four best host sites, I'm pick. I'm, I'm going to keep those four host sites for my first-round playoffs, too. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build this, and I'm going to pick these teams at random. And so say they play out the regular season, then, okay, the – the t- and then I'm going to say the I'm going to still use those same four host sites. Okay, well now we'll have the central we'll have the central division playoff here. We'll have the it, it, whatever city it is, and and then we'll move from there. But I think that's the most fair way to do it, and you do it at kind of a similar to like the like we going back to a soccer reference, the Champions League draw. You can't put two teams from the like the two first place teams can't be in the same pool. That's so right. we're going to take, we're going to put, okay, I pull a first place team out of, okay, well, I'm going to put them in this pod. I can now, the next ball can't be another first place team, so it can only be one of these teams. So and I it can't be, like that. in the early round draw, yeah. it can't be two teams from the same country, so then it would be two teams yeah. from the same division, and they'll yeah. spread that. Now, yeah, it's going to happen where you're going to have a couple teams. There's only four divisions, so you have to yeah. have that you, at you some would point. Have some, you you yeah. would have some, but I think, I mean, and on top of that, you know what? 
the way we just talked about this out loud, it turns into a TV event in mid-May. Like, sure. honestly, like, like it turns into something to talk about. Like, we get Gary Bettman in his basement, or, like, we saw, like, Roger Goodell in his basement writing an NFL draft having – uh, Gary Bettman or, and Bill Daly side by side. That's actually interesting. Is, is instead yeah. of just having a okay, well, you know, we're going to uh, these four host cities, and then we're just going to shift one place over all the first place teams and second place, yeah. and so on and so forth. You could actually have a pool draw like they do at yep. the World Cup or at Champions League, which makes it somewhat entertaining. Although those can sometimes drag out too, because you know it's. It's a formality, but it's fun. All right. But you, but you see, you still do it, and I think it's also the type of thing where if you do a pool draw, I think you at least, then everyone was subjected to the... Uh, There's a bit of randomness there. Yeah. 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 So I, that's so. not a bad idea. It could be fun. Um, we have another topic to cover that we're about this, that with your discussions with Jim Nill and yeah. also some of the other guys around the league that also brought this up this week. But we'll touch on that in our third segment about the taxi squad issue. But yeah. up next here on the Quarkast, it's time to go back in time and look at our classic game of the week. Segment two is our classic game review of the week here on the Quarkast. And this week we picked a game, Sean, that after watching it really could have just been the last few minutes of the third period. March 1st, 2011, Dallas Stars against the then-known Phoenix Coyotes at what I still consider to be maybe the worst name arena in the NHL at the time. Jobbing.com Arena. It's changed a few times even since that. Um, yeah. But this was originally aired on Fox Sports Southwest on April 18th of this year. Um, and just to set the stage a little bit, this is one week after the Stars traded Matt Niskanen and James Neal to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Alex Goligoski. The Stars were entering this game in eighth place in the Western Conference standings. Uh, Phoenix was fourth at the time. They would end up making the playoffs, the Coyotes, but down near the bottom of the seeds. They did because this was interesting, Sean. They finished tied with uh, three or four other teams at 99 points, and ROW came into effect for the fourth place Anaheim Ducks, and then the other. I think Phoenix finished sixth, 
And fifth and sixth, they were tied at ROW and had to go to further tiebreakers to separate out who was who. And I thought that was really fascinating to see how tightly packed the, the standings were in the 20, the end yeah. of the, it was the 10 11 season. Yeah. I mean, this was the year that Phoenix finished with, there were, and this was the year that with uh, this was the year where Dallas lost that last game of the season to Minnesota, right? That could have made it in, and they they missed out because of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, was that this year, or was that before was, that? I'm pretty sure that was this year, but I'm trying to remember now because I thought so. Ten eleven, Mike Madonna's not on the team, right? No. He played for the Detroit Red Wings in ten yeah, eleven. Wasn't Madonna on the team when they played in Minnesota, or was he not at that point? For this. No, they were they were out of the playoffs. That they finished the year in Minnesota that year, but they were out of the playoffs already. Oh, oh they were. So yeah, that was, wasn't the year the Stars went to Minnesota and lost a game that if they had won, they make the playoffs. Yeah, no, that was not 2009-10. That was, was it. Uh, okay, it was the year before. Yes. Yeah. No, and, it was it was it was yeah it was 2011. That's the year they lost to Minnesota. Yeah. Um, to. Okay, so Mark Crawford. Coaching the Dallas Stars in this one. Dave Tippett coaching the Phoenix Coyotes. Again, both ex-Dallas Stars coaches. And just to set this one up, Sean, uh, Brad Richards was hurt. So he and Nicholas Grossman were both on the IR, although they were talking during the game about maybe being about a week away from returning. And it's interesting because with Richards out, the center depth for the Dallas Stars seemed a bit shaken as they had Jamie Benn, on the first line, Mike Ribeiro centering the second line, Steve Ott, the third line center, and Tom Vondell, the fourth line center. Obviously, br- losing Brad Richards took a dent to their center depth, didn't it? Oh, yeah. That was uh, <laughs> Brad Richards. People forget how he was only in Dallas for sh- a short time, and they didn't win a lot when he was here. But, like, you look at Brad Richards' individual numbers from his time in Dallas, and he's one of the most success and he's had some of the most successful individual seasons of a star in the last 20 years yeah it, like that's this is and this is the other thing so i noticed i had some stuff basically the first two periods of hockey not a lot i mean it was an interesting game to watch but it wasn't an exciting game for a while and at the end of 40 minutes of play it was one to nothing dallas on a tom vondell goal um, now some people say wandell some say vondell with a v uh, I've met Tom. He actually got sent down to the Texas Stars when you and I were there. Um, nice guy. Great skill. I think he was struggling a bit with the league as far as the physicality goes. Yeah. Um, and yet, the guy had talent. I just don't know if he had the uh, physical edge that was needed, especially when in those games were being played. But he scored a goal, Sean, which was a blistering slap shot. Great finish, but from an area that should never go in for a goalie. No, it was a bad goal. I mean, it was a bad goal. He just he just shot the puck, um, and that was the, that was really it as far as <laughs> offense and goal scoring for the entire first two periods. Yes, I mean, I mean, here's here's my issue with, um, in this game actually, I think was a perfect example of why I sometimes struggle with only showing wins as classic games. I understand why networks do it. And like, I understand, I understand the, 
why would we show a team losing? And, and it's the same thing right now. We were talking about the '99 Stanley Cup run, where they're only showing the wins from the playoffs. They're not, from the, from the, right. They're not. Sh- they're not showing any losses. So why it's fun to look back? If you're a Stars fan, while it's probably fun to look back and relive glory days or relive them the first time, you have. There's no question in your mind they're winning this game because they only they only air the wins, and so this game is actually a perfect example of why. It is a classic game because of the last eight minutes of the game, but you're watching the first forty minutes and you're like, "Man, when does anything good happen?" That it was the first think... fifty-two minutes that I yeah, said that, like, right? You're yeah, halfway no, yeah, through the like, third period, going, yeah. "Why is this game a classic?" Game? You're, and you're watching through it, and you're like, did, did, "Is this just like the only game they had? Is the only game they still had <laughs> tape, tape from from that year?" Like, so why are we showing this game? And like the last the last eight minutes are good, but this was the type of game where it would have been like I don't even care to talk about the first two periods. Like, yeah. We got that goal. It was one nothing. So let's just jump to the so third period. Here's a go- I have a couple of side notes, right? <laughs> Things I noticed. Early in the first period, Ralph and Razor made a Twitter reference about Paul Bissonette and Chris Barch. Uh, and they, I thought that was funny because if you think about it, 2011 was relatively early days for Twitter. And, yep. you know, we all know who Paul Bissonette is. And, of course, he's a former player and a tough guy. And, he really found his, his niche on Twitter as a social media platform and has now turned that into being a broadcaster both on the Spitting Chicklets podcast or Spitting Chicklets, as they say it, and with the radio broadcast for the Arizona Coyotes, now named. Uh, but at the time, he was just making waves at, on Twitter and calling people out. And uh, I thought that was funny, Sean, because, you know, Twitter is such a big part of many people's lives at this point. And not everybody's, but the yeah. difference between 2011 and 2020 for Twitter is pretty pretty funny to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the other notes I had were second-year pro Jamie Benn looked very speedy. We've mentioned that comment before of other years, but, boy, he was just flying around the ice. Um, nice to see uh, Brendan Morrow with a C on his jersey. Uh, and mm-hmm. then... Just a lot of icings. That first period wasn't very pretty. The second period was loaded with penalties, and it was just sort of a trade back and forth between minors. And then it felt like the referees swallowed their whistle to start the third period. And we've ranted about this before. I can't stand that. Yeah. I mean, the one other thing, just kind of the takeaway before we get to that exciting third period, and it's <laughs> it's kind of a somber note. But this is, this is actually kind of a legitimate somber note, and I, and I didn't really think about it. This is one of the, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry because I, I don't want to butcher the pronunciation of his name, but this is one of the final, this is kind of the last, one of the, in the collection of the final games of uh, Carlos Scraston's life. Mm. Yeah. Like, that's, that, that's something where I was kind of, I remember when I'm watching the game and I, and I didn't, and I thought about that because obviously he was in that terrible plane accident because he went back, he went to the KHL the next year and that plane that crashed. And, and it's a, uh, that was uh, a Yaroslav locomotive. Yeah, yeah, in September in September of 2011. So that was the other kind of very somber takeaway. But I, I I don't think he was a player who I had ever watched play all the way through and really cared, really focused on because yeah. at that time, at that time, at that time ten years ago, I know I, I not that I didn't even knew who he was. It's just he was a depth defenseman and he's someone who. So it was kind of a weird thing. It was getting a little bit odd. To, not odd. I'm trying to use the right words here, but it was somber to kind of watch that. And um, obviously, he's someone who I know. Kari Lettinen had a bit of a tribute on his mask on uh, after that accident. Obviously, so that was kind of. Uh, I kept thinking about that a little bit, and I don't know if I don't know if that's kind of has something to do with kind of 
we're thinking about life more often right now with where we are in the world. But I just figured that's some, not fake, but that's something that kind of jumped into mind for me. Yeah, it's that, that is a very interesting, and it is a bit of a somber note. I didn't think about it when I was watching this game, cause, but I did remember noting that I don't remember watching him play all that much because yeah. back in 2010, 2011, I was doing AHL hockey in upstate New York. So I didn't see a lot of those NHL games, especially ones in the central and western, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. I saw stuff in the eastern time zone a little bit, but I was concentrating on my job and the games that – I was working, and so it wasn't like I saw, like you said, every player on every team. You know, now most of these guys are, you look at the lineups for the two teams, and a lot of them are very recognizable, and I didn't really, there were only a couple that I said, boy, I really barely remember them. You know, a couple of the Phoenix Phoenix defensemen didn't really stand out. Morris and Klesla were ones that I don't remember watching a whole lot, but everybody else really fit. Now, I thought this is a less... Serious note, but Sean, that Phoenix team had five players in their starting lineup that would eventually play for the Dallas Stars at some point. Ray Whitney, a much younger and fresher Marty Hansel, Lori Korpikoski, David Schlemko, although his tenure in Dallas was relatively brief, and then, of course, Vern Fiddler was on that team. And, you know, before we get to the third, we'll do that next, this is a pretty good Phoenix Coyotes team. Yeah, I mean, this was a team that, I mean, this was a team that, and we talk about Martin Hansel, this was a team when Martin Hansel was pretty good. This was, this, Martin Hansel was at his heyday. This was this the, is peak, his his career, for sure. And this is peak of his career, and this was a time of his career where the stars, rather foolishly, in my opinion, looked back at this was who he could still be, and when they signed him, and obviously that wasn't the case. The other thing, and this will get us back on tr- into the third period, the other thing this was just a reminder of is that Jamie Langenbrunner came back to Dallas. <laughs> this is a long way from the early ninety, yeah. mid nineties, where he was playing, you know, and trying to help him win a Stanley Cup, and then going to the Devils yeah. and winning a cup, and yeah. So speaking of speaking Jamie, of Jamie Langenbrunner, yeah, speaking of Jamie, he finally uh, creates a point where well, it's actually to me, I keep watching it. I know Jamie Langenbrunner got credit for the goal, but. It was Steve Ott's goal, like right. That's what. It, well, like, Steve Ott did all the work. He went behind yeah. the net and then kind of delayed in the corner, just above the goal line, and then basically did a spin around and fired it toward the net, and it ended up being a centering crease cross, a cross crease pass that hit Langenbrunner in the leg or foot and went in. And at first, Sean, it really looked like Ott shot it and it went in, and it was just a bad goal. Yeah. But then after watching the replay and seeing it go off Langenbrunner, you realize it's really not Brzgalov's fault because the first goal, Wondell's goal, was definitely a bad one to give up. This one was just a bad bounce. Yeah. So it's 2 nothing at that point, and there had been a push by the Coyotes early in the third period. I thought the Stars were the better team in the second with the, you know, the trading of penalties back and forth. But, but and really, creates, yeah, at that it point, it just yeah. it felt like, okay, it's 2 nothing. This game is is headed to it, two nothing final. It, it's still it's still the point where I'm thinking like I know something else is gonna happen. <laughs> I know something else is gonna happen, but I'm like, this is a classic game. It's two no, It's it's two nothing with eight minutes left and nothing's happened. Like this is this is one of those where it's like, okay, labeling this a showing this as a classic game is either wrong yes. or or it just in, inevitably gives away the ending because clearly clearly when it's two nothing, I'm like okay. 
Phoenix is either this game's either going to overtime, right? Or because and, and I when I when when I DVR'd this game, the great thing about DVRing this was they hadn't put the score in it at least. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And I didn't I can, know either, which is and so fun. And, and so I just I hadn't looked at the store, so I could go in slightly blind. And but you're still like, okay, well this game's going to overtime because Phoenix is going to score like a minute left, and that's what I'm thinking at the time. And then Phoenix scores with uh, about with what three thirty nine yep. three forty yep. remaining. Um, yeah, the aforementioned then, Rusty Klesla, who I hadn't yeah. ever heard of, and I apologize to Rusty Klesla. He had just been acquired via trade at the deadline from uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, so it just goes to show you I didn't follow Columbus as much in the mm-hmm. late 2000s as I should yep. have. But mm-hmm. he scores on a backdoor tap-in from a very young Kyle Turris on a kind of a broken play, and with less than four minutes left, all of a sudden it's you know, it's a game. Yeah. And then that, that makes it two to one. And, and then there's a timeout, right? So yeah. there's, they, they, you know, Phoenix is pushing. The stars had a couple of looks. They pulled Brizgalov. There's a timeout. And I wrote down whiteboard Willie because they show the benches there <laughs> with the timeout. And our friend, former Dallas associate head coach or associate coach. And of course, because they showed it the other day, it's in our minds again. The Texas Stars Calder Cup winning head coach, Willie Desjardins, was on the bench with his whiteboard running the, the sort of face-off play that they were going to do on this setup. And Ray Whitney scores an empty or an extra attacker goal with uh, at 1923. So with, you know, just seconds left on the clock. We're looking at what? Uh... 37 seconds, I think, 37, on the clock. 30, 37 or 38 seconds remaining, yeah. And and we think, okay, and that and that's where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm getting my overtime payoff. We're gonna we're going to overtime. It felt like and, that, but then I look, I, I cheated, Sean, because I didn't look at the score, but I saw how little time was left on the DVR, and when mm-hmm. something's got to happen because there's not enough time for an overtime. <laughs> yeah. So. By the way, the fact that they then gave up that shot from the mid slot, like right between the hash marks on yeah. an extra, like that's not good defending. No, it's not. No, they, they, they basically left a guy like, okay, he scores from the blue line. He scores from the far wall on a massive shot, whatever. But they gave away prime grade, a scoring chance location. When you're trying to hold on to a one goal lead, it wasn't great defending. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was Definitely not what the Dallas Stars have become <laughs> less than a little less than a decade later. And so that the Stars, though, then get a bit of a, a gift from when, when, when Redeem Verbata cooks, is called for hooking about 13 seconds remaining. And then... So here's the thing, Sean. I just said, like, the whole third period, they didn't call a penalty. Yeah. Right? They swallowed the whistle. There was a bunch of stuff. And Razor said it on the broadcast. There's infractions all over the ice. They've just decided they're not going to call it because they called a whole bunch in the second period. It was one after another. And so when when Mike Ribeiro drew that hooking penalty on Verbata, the Phoenix fans and players really were irate because they had basically decided, okay, we're not going to call anything in the third period. And then in with 30 seconds to go with a Thai hockey game, they call, I mean, it was a penalty. There, there's no yeah. doubt. It's just that that fluctuation of lack of consistency is what drives people nuts. Yeah, it was it was it was called by a different standard than the first, <laughs> first. 19, 1930 had been played in the third period. <laughs> so 
And that sets up the offensive zone. It sets up the offensive zone draw, and Jamie Ben scores the game-winning goal with basically five seconds remaining. It and was a great play by the the whole team because um, you had Morrow tying up his guy in the corner. Yeah, Ribeiro gets the puck free in the corner, centers it. Louis Erickson is one on two, wins the battle and pushes it across. And Jamie Ben is unmarked on the right side and just one times at home. And uh, Brzezgalov has no chance. And again, that's where because I mean it was, it was teamwork. Everybody but Goligoski, who was the point man, was uh, involved in touching the puck, and it was a really good team goal. It wasn't just Jamie's shot. He had the finish, but all yeah. four forwards really did a nice job. Yeah, no, it's, it's it sets up a goal, and it's it, it, it also brought up just this whole thing. This watching this game brought up two fascinating things, and I think unless you have something, two fascinating thoughts for me watching the third period, and just made me think of kind of the 2010-11 season a little bit more. Uh, first one is just because jerseys have been fresh on my mind since the Athletic has been writing all about jerseys this week, and I just said pictures of stars jerseys that my family members rank and so the the, the whites were the, those road whites were bad like those were <laughs> i did not like uh, there, you, there's a reason everyone all the fans did not like the 2007-13 to 2007-2013 jersey look um the other the other thought that i had just the one that kind of popped into my mind is thinking about the 2010-11 season and now I'm not saying it changes anything. I'm not saying it makes the Stars win in 2013-14, but how much, how valuable would just have been playing in the playoffs that year with a Brendan Morrow type, with that team, would would it have been for Jamie Benn's career? Just just thinking long-term. And I'm not saying... Sure. Because like, we've obviously seen Jamie Benn grow into that leader, grow into that captain. He obviously took great steps at the Olympics. And so it's just kind of one of those what-if moments where you look at... Jamie Ben has now in his tenth season in Dallas. Um, he's only played in three. He's only been in the playoffs three years. What if he had been able to be in there in that second season and just kind of um, what, what 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 maybe maybe he's more mature and more ready for that 2013-14 season against Anaheim? Who like who knows? Like I, it's just kind of a what if thought of. Um, of what could have been more for Jamie Ben in the early years, sure. and obviously Jamie was Jamie was great. He was great for the first half of his Dallas career statistically. He looked very confident with his play yeah. as a second and, year player. He really stood out. And so I just I just wonder how much more maybe they could have maybe something maybe there's something there that that team as a group maybe there's maybe getting to that playoff that year maybe that's the confidence Kari Lettinen would have needed in 2013-14. I'm just I'm just it's it's I just wonder looking back on sure. that season. What, what, how, just kind of thinking how maybe one playoff run, even if a team loses in the first round or loses in the second round, how it can be used to maybe springboard something else in the future. Also, a couple of side notes. Uh, really awesome to watch Toby Peterson, our buddy, who mm-hmm. played with the Texas Stars at the end of his career before he went had now into coaching um, in the yeah. in, in the professional ranks in the AHL. But Toby was is is a wonderful human being and. To get to have him on the Texas Stars when I started down in Austin and Cedar Park, if you want to be specific, and he was good in this game. He was a really good role player. He's smart. Obviously, he was great for us in Cedar Park, but um, to see him be still very effective at the NHL NHL level was a lot of fun. Now knowing him as much as I do, and then the other thing, Sean, that I had to point out was the fact that 
most teams still in 2011 were employing two defensemen at the point on the power play. They had similar formation setups where they were basically having one guy high and shifting guys over, but at the end of that game when Ben scored, the Stars put four forwards on the ice, and the broadcasters, Ralph and Razor, commented on the fact that that was the case so it was yeah. an, it was almost an anomaly wow they're really going for it yeah. they've put four forwards out whereas now it's become second nature to have four forwards on the power play what was the uh what year would you say the 131 took over as the primary setup it had to be v- pretty close to that time frame right like, i mean are we, are we talking are we talking f- 12, 13, 13, 14, that the one three one became the primary? Because I mean, here's the thing is that even yeah. in this game, they were doing a setup of that with a guy in the middle, yeah. you know, the two guys on the half wall, point, you know, Goligoski was running the point, and they had a guy down in the net front. There was a little bit of shifting, and they still had two defensemen, and at times, depending yeah. on how things were, the other guy was dropping back to the point because Robida was out there, Trevor Daly was out there with Goligoski, but yeah. here's the thing. I think they were really, it looked like a normal setup that we see today. It's just that they, both teams had two defensemen. They, yeah, I, mean, I don't it, know it, when it, the shift it, was. I think it was yeah. within a year or two later where all of a sudden one main quarterback defenseman at the point and they everybody else yeah. is forwards. Yeah, and the one three one. I mean, it, it had already kind of existed because yes. the umbrella, the umbrella in many ways was already a one three one, but it was more of... It was more of a two-three, right? Sure. If you think about it, yep. but it, but with a little bit more far-range shooting. But it's still interesting to look at to see where this became and as teams evolved. Because can you imagine what the reaction would have been from a broadcaster at that time if all of a sudden they rolled out five forwards? Yeah, just, just like no, they would have. Down. It would have been yeah. really avant-garde, and, and uh, yeah. you know everybody would have said, "Wow, this guy's really taking a risk." This coach <laughs> and. And we, you know, you and I have talked about this at length before. I don't know if it's that big a deal now. Yeah, it's not really. Although so, the, the, the only thing, the reason why we won't see that commonplace is that there are too many offensive defensemen that are good at running the, yeah. the top, you know, the point position on the power play to not have them on the ice for those situations. And, and it's not as easy as, this is something the Stars have dealt with too, it's not as easy as just putting an offensive player at the top and no. running that spot. No. Like the Stars the stars have had, when, they, when they've had some power play struggles in the past, the past couple of years even, they've talked about, okay, do we look at maybe putting a forward at the top of that point? They've had that conversation. I mean, I think it was Todd Nelson who pretty much told me this that, uh, earlier this season, I think it was, or it was late last season, that... I would experiment with that. I just don't have the – I've talked to the forwards. I don't have the guy who says, I feel confident in that spot. And the most important thing about that spot on the top of a 1-3-1 is the confidence because you you can't have any second guessing. You can't have any worrying about losing the puck. You have to play that spot with 100% confidence that you're going to create chances. The last one I remember the Stars having who really felt good up there was Patrick Sharp. Yeah, yeah. Who was – Cap- not, I mean, I'm not saying capable because other guys are capable, but had done it before coming to yep. Dallas, and so it was really as a. But he would be deployed as almost a second point man, not just the lone point man. Yeah, I, I will say this, and then we'll go to our next segment. He actually did say, he said technically, this is a funny. Todd Nelson did tell me technically, 
Rads has told me he's confident enough to be there, but I don't trust him. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would believe that, that yes. So he, he has said, Alexander Radulov said, I, I could handle the top of the 1-3-1. He says, but I can't leave Alexander Radulov as my as the guy who's supposed to stop the uh, the, the shorthanded breakaway. Which would you so, be more comfortable doing, putting Rads in as an emergency backup goalie or the point on the power play? Emergency backup there goalie. There you go. <laughs> All right, up next in the Quarcast, it's time for us to talk about the Taxi Squad. Okay, segment three. As the quadcast rolls on here on this first day of May, Sean. Something that we wanted to carry over from the discussions in our opening segment, which revolved around some of the details of how this would happen, the hub concept, the schedule affecting things as the NHL looks to maybe return sometime in July as a start date, perhaps. With The, the one thing we really know is that they're looking at mid to late May to get things back to a training camp facility. However... The American Hockey League is also on pause. They haven't officially closed their season, but it doesn't look like they are going to resume. In fact, we pretty much feel confident saying they won't play again. And that leads to an interesting scenario because even if the teams that didn't... If the NHL said no regular season games were going right to a playoff, they would still need extra bodies besides the 23-man roster that they currently have. And... All playoff teams call up the Black Aces, so to speak. However, if you're going to play regular season games, you definitely, especially after such a long layoff, you're going to need guys because to cover for injury. It's just not possible to do it. And for training, this training camp, too, because you're, right. not going to, you're not going to, if you're going to run a three-week training camp or two, three-week training camp, uh, you're not going to go with a full 50-man roster like you typically do for a 50, 40 to 50 players like you do in September, but... You're gonna have, want thirty to see. You're gonna want more guys to create a more realistic training camp feel. So it, this is why it brought, it brought up the taxi squad idea, something that you were talking about with Jim Neal earlier this week, and it was funny that that came up. And I'll give you credit if you asked him about it, or if he brought it up on his own. I'll give you credit for it because I was going to breach this subject to you. I had been thinking about this anyway. Going, they're gonna need extra players. How do they yep. do that? Obviously, they have to have some sort of Black Ace, or I mean, if we're calling it Taxi Squad now, it's fine with me. But they're going to need a pool of players that they can call upon to get that extra, provide that extra cover for injuries and other scenarios that come up where players suddenly become unavailable. So, as you said, the, my thought is that it's not going to be the full Texas Stars roster. No, but. You and and it never is with a black A squad for a no, no 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 is, yeah. is that what a taxi squad in your mind for let's say there's regular season games to play is the group that Texas brings in similar to what they probably would call up for a black A squad anyway? Um, I would think it would be highly similar, but I would think it might not be as large. Just considering we're talking about like. 
we talk about a pl- playoff black ace run. You could have 10, 15 guys, right? You could have 10 to 15 sure. guys for black aces. I don't think you do 10, 15 in a time where we're talking about potentially quarantining extra people and testing extra people and everything like that. So I, I don't think it gets that large because during, during, during this resumption. And so I, I think we're looking at more of something along five to eight in size where you're going to have at least one more goalie in there. Cause if you have a goalie injury, you need to have another goalie. You're going to have probably have a couple more defensemen, maybe another line of forwards where in theory, if you had five, six injuries, you'd still be safe. And I think that's where, where it goes. That's to. interesting. You mentioned that yeah. because typically you call up one goalie as your third mm-hmm. and they can travel yeah. because it allows for, practice time on the road, especially during the playoffs when the starting goalie a lot of time gets very short reps to get a feel and gets off the ice for energy management. In this instance, Sean, I would be very surprised if the Stars didn't take both of their goalies, Landon Bow and Jake Ottinger, for this position for two reasons. One, it makes for a lot more entertaining uh, black ace practice when you have two goalies than one. And frankly, if the Stars get to a playoff scenario, uh, again, travel is going to be a little different. <laughs> But yeah. they would probably want to have a goalie with the Black Aces and a third with the the, the first team anyway. Well, and the other thing, too, that you could potentially be seeing, because we're talking about, and I mentioned this in my story today, just and this is my speculation alone, we're talking about a more condensed schedule with regular season, right? right. Obviously, if it's a regular season, it's a more condensed schedule. Well, I mean, think about it. 13 games, that's a month. Yeah. That's one yeah, month but- of hockey just to finish the season. And we could even see the playoffs more condensed. So I think we're at a spot where the the teams with a good 1B, like these stars have, yes, um, c- could be used even more often. So if you have Anton Hudobin and Ben Bishop both playing more, if you have Anton Hudobin playing more frequently, if say say there's say they play ten games, just to pick a number, ten regular season games, okay, and they play ten games over 22 days. I'm just picking numbers out of my head. You're probably having both goalies start five, just just to pick, just to just to, or at least like ready. a six four split. Yeah. Which means they're probably both not practicing as much. Mm-hmm. So you, in theory, could have practices where, well, Hudobin just wants to get ten minutes in before he starts tomorrow, and then leave. Bishop, and, and Bishop Bishop played Bishop played last night, so he's only going to do thirty minutes. So I need both these goalies here. So I, I think you're actually spot on there. With we're building a taxi squad, you're probably having both Landon Bo and Jake Ottinger there. All right, let's talk about forwards then. Um, so, I think that the, the obvious ones from the Texas Stars roster to me are Yoel Kiviranta, because he was really good in his call-up, and, and we know he can be a part of it. And Jason Robertson also was really good there. And then guys like Rhett Gardner, Nick Camano, Joel Lesperance immediately jump out, right? So that's, what, yeah. five already? Yep. Then, you know, the, the veteran guys that are AHL depth veterans like Tanner Carroll or Michael Mersh would be guys that you could in theory see but in the ones theory, but I, I don't think they're coming okay so the ones the one that I think could be there is the guy that wasn't even playing pro hockey at the moment which would be um, Ty Delandria and he is actually this is going to segue the defense because this is an important conversation to yes have about. yes so there's there's Ty Delandria and then Thomas Harley and this is something where even I've had this conversation with the stars where they don't know how junior players will be impacted by this. Because in a typical year, a junior guy's season ends. Once his season ends, you could have him be a black ace in the AHL or the NHL. Right. And, and honestly, Delandria or Harley, once their AHL, or excuse me, their their Canadian juniors, the OHL yep. playoffs for both of them, because they're both in the O, 
would have then gone and started playing for the Texas Stars. And so Harley and Delandry are both part of the long-term future. And in theory, the Stars would like to have them around for yes. this playoff experience. And then the other thing that comes into mind, too, is because these guys could play. The other question becomes, these guys could play NHL games. Of course, if, and this, if they did, does that burn a year then? But, well, I mean, that, that becomes the other loaded question of how does the nine... Does does the nine games count? Right. Do the do the nine games count, and how do how do we factor that? Because you could, in theory, but to me, this becomes actually a fa- more fascinating question. For it's one thing for the stars, a playoff bound team, to say, "Hey, I'm going to have my top prospects around a playoff run." I'm fascinated to see what happens for Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo. Yes. Are like because if I'm those teams and I'm not getting an NHL development camp likely this summer, I mean I, that is something where that's probably not happening. No, not a realistic. chance. Like, um, do, doesn't it behoove me to say, okay, we're not making the playoffs. We're not going to. What I have these, I have my three or four best prospects who are close to NHL ready. I could have them play NHL games right now, and I'm going to take advantage of it. And so. I think that's something where that's going to be fascinating to see where the Tom is hard. And I don't know the prospect pool for these other teams, so I can't give you a name right now. But the, the Detroit Red Wings, Thomas Harley, if I'm Detroit, I'm saying, okay, you know what? You're not going to play nine games because we don't want to burn a year, but you're going to play eight. We have we have ten meaningless games left. You're going to play eight of them because we need you to uh, – we might as well get you ready, up and ready for the future. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that cap – I think if you play regular season games, there's still going to have to be some sort of salary cap. Yeah, there, there will be probably, and but. so that may limit some of that because if the player is healthy, you can't just call up another guy. Um, yeah. You know, they might allow the four non-emergency recalls yep. at that point, and then if you have injuries, then you have exceptions. So teams aren't taking advantage of that. But then once the playoffs come around, you're right. Now the difference is is that it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't know if there are many kids that are playing junior hockey at, at this point that are immediately going to jump the. Stanley Cup playoffs and be huge impact players at age 18 or 19. I mean, the one question is just like hypothetical for sure. Dallas. Just, just, and I, in Dallas, if Roman Polak, say, say you go through a training camp and one defense, we won't even name a name of a defenseman. One defenseman gets hurt in this training camp. Someone else gets hurt in game. Like last year, the Stars went all the way down to 10th on their depth chart in the playoffs. Yes. Dylan Hetherington played Stanley Cup playoff games last year. Well, let's talk about these D real quick. So the guys that would be called up, you already had five or yep. six forwards. Yep. You don't, you're not sure that Mersh or Carroll would be called up. I don't think they'd be called up. I don't think you're going that far. Because that is those are guys that are vets. Those would be but I, I potential. Don't, I don't, but I okay. don't think I don't think you're going that far on the list. So you don't you think you have about six forwards on your depth? I think you're going six forwards okay. and about so three or four D. That's the, my def- guess. the two defensemen that immediately jump out to me, the first one would be Joel Hanley, right? No yep. questions asked. He's the first guy up because you already have Taylor Fadoon as an extra guy. Hanley's the one that's proven that he's in it. Um, after that, it's kind of a toss-up because you have Gavin Bayreuther, Dylan Hetherington, Reese Scarlett is in that mix, and then, of course, you have the... Uh, Joe Ciccone and Ben Gleason's of the world that I think are a little bit farther down the depth chart. Mm-hmm. How many of those do you realistically call up? Because I think you need th- at least four on your taxi squad. I mean, I'm thinking it because you, yeah, because you want two pairs. Correct. You want two pairs for, for ease of practice. So I honestly, I think it's going to be Hanley. My guess would be Hanley, Bayreuther, Hetherington, and then I think Harley. Thomas Harley. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and, 
And so, and say we get deep into the defensive depth, like the Stars went into last season, where they had all of a sudden you've got Dylan Hetherington playing against the St. Louis Blues. I honestly think Thomas Harley would probably play before a Dylan Hetherington or a Gavin Bayreuther or yeah, or a, it would be interesting, or, wouldn't it? But there's like, a chance he, for that. I, he, I don't think he'd, he wouldn't play before Joel Hanley. But no. If it went, but but if it got to a certain depth, I think he would actually play. And remember that based on who was playing at the end of or at the pause, you have Pollock. You have Fadoon, then you have Hanley as your your depth, right behind. Because Andre Sekiro is playing. You have Alexiak and Johns and Haskinen and Klingberg Lindell, right? So you to get to Thomas Harley, you're probably getting past four, three or four defensemen ahead of him in the lineup. Yeah, I mean you you don't want you you don't want to see what that injury situation requires. Sure. So um... so. That, to me, Sean, that's 10, 11, 12 players on a taxi squad. Is that enough? That's too many already. You, th- you I think, think so? Like, I, I, think, I think you're, I think if, I think if any, I think you're, we may have too many forwards, honestly. You think? Like, you I, think I, six I think would be too many? I think you're doing four, I think, I think we're at a spot where that's a little bit too many for, especially if we're doing the hub city, because I don't see, I don't the see six the looks point. good to me because you have, you can have two, you basically two full lines, right? If you, you have... Can. If you have ten plus two, ten skaters and two def- and two goalies, you can have a five on five. Now, obviously, you can't play five on five without substitutions for very long. But I just wonder if that if that makes any sense, or if the the team goes, no, I we're th- not going to have, we're going to have eight guys. No, I, I think you're looking at it too much in a perfect world scenario. Honestly, perhaps like like like, like I, I think that's too many. I think you want four D because you need to worry about coverage there, and I think. I think six forwards might even be too much just because we got to remember if we're going to hub cities and we're talking about testing guys as often as possible, do you really need to test two additional guys and put up two additional quarantined human beings just to practice? Like I, to me, there's only so much you can, to yeah. me, there's a, there's a limit of how far, like if this was a playoff run, if this was a regular playoff, then yes. But I think we need to th- think about kind of the other circumstances at play here. So I think it's smaller. I'm thinking it's going to be – I think it's going to be between 8 to 10 guys. I don't think we're going to get above 10. Right, because last year during the playoffs, the Stars had a smattering of the junior kids and some of the AHL guys that weren't part of the Black Aces group, but they came up to be, be part of the experience. And I think they were in a – one of the edge extra suites or something, watching a little but bit. Of, but only only for a game or two. It was so only it was really right. It was only for a yeah. little bit, but it was all part of the hey, come get an idea of where you need to get to to get to this great stage. Yeah, I don't think you'll uh, see as much of that with this no. because of the of the logistical problems. No, and the other, so I mean, the other thing just about that's going to be the other fascinating kind of development and if we want to kind of segue and this is something I wrote about this morning is, and this is not, I want to be clear about this as I wrote my story. This is not from the NHL or the AHL at this point, but I've talked to some people who in the hockey world who are worried that the taxi squad could be a reality for the 2020, 21 season. Yeah. That's interesting where, and that's just because, and that goes to the nature of, while the NHL can return and figure out a chip ability to play without fans. The, that is not really a reality for the AHL just because of the that is such a gate driven league. There's no TV contract that makes that brings money in, and so it may be a point if we get too deep into this year, and the AHL might be at a point where NHL teams, a lot of NHL teams run their AHL teams now, and you have independent AHL ownership who 
can't make a living without can't make a living without fans may say you know what instead of even having an AHL season we're just going to have a taxi squad which would probably be a little bit larger if we're talking for a full season but we're, we're just going to have a taxi squad for the extent of the 2021 Ugh. season and that would that would suck but for the players just, on that squad that'd be hard to train day after day and not be able to play games that's really like, tough it would suck for them it would suck for those guys to train it but those guys at least would have a job yeah I mean, we're talking i mean yeah it you're would right suck even it would suck even more for all the players that would be cut out of like you know what there's no job for you one so, of the things that ties us all into our first segment again sean is that it could really benefit the ahl if the nhl didn't start next season until december because yeah. if that gets pushed back it gives the ahls an opportunity to maybe start their season at around the same time where maybe if things are better as far as treatment or vaccines for the coronavirus, they could have fans again, which is really a prerequisite for them having a season. Yeah. So it'll um, be interesting to it, see. It's interesting. Before we close this segment, I'm going to give you a, Do you know where the term taxi squad comes from? Uh, I don't. So please enlighten me. So I, I, I looked this up this morning because I had been using it and hadn't realized where it came from. So We need a drop to go, do, 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 Sean Shapiro, fun fact. <laughs> so it actually comes from the uh, 1940s Cleveland Browns. It's a, it's a stolen football term. Wow. So uh, the Browns coach at the time, Paul Brown, he had, it was, he had the first uh, kind of practice squad, right? He had the first, he, he had the first, young scouted players on the who who he had said okay we're going to keep you around you're not on the roster if someone gets hurt we'll sign you they were paid the uh, the owner of the browns at that time also owned a taxi company and so he put them on the payroll for the taxi cab company <laughs> so 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 they were technically paid by the taxi company and they were getting checks from the from his taxi company, they didn't drive cabs, but they were the taxi squad. <laughs> wow. Well, it's good to know that they didn't actually have to drive because I don't know if playing football qualifies you to drive uh, an Uber, so to speak. Yeah. So. Do Sean Shapiro. Fun fact. All right. To the next segment. Up next, it's the lightning round. right it is time for the lightning round full of fun facts so here we go sean we always appreciate everybody for sending in questions with the proper hashtags we can find them and the lightning round starts today with christopher who sent us this question next season's new additions and he put in parentheses delandria harley Camano, robertson gardner any others and how they'll fit in the already full roster also, player you'd most like to see them target in a trade. His choice, Josh Anderson from the Columbus Blue Jackets. The price for Josh Anderson is hefty. Yes. Um, but um, 
Anywho, as far as the additions first, we'll tackle that one. Um, I mean, I, I look at it as Thomas Harley is going to be in the NHL next year, and maybe I'm just being overly optimistic about it, but um, there is, when it comes to defensemen, Andre Andre Secker, Roman Polak, both UFAs are going to be gone. Yes, I already look. I already look at next year as Jamie Alexiak and Thomas Harley as your third pairing defense. As with your third defense with pairing. Johnson, Haskinen as your second, and Klingberg yep, yep. and Lindell as your other. Yes. Yeah, and then Taylor Fadun as your seven. Like I, that's how I look at that. So they're all the under fit, contract, so it seems it, to it, make sense. The fit for Harley is easy. Um, I mean, the other the, the forward question is you mess in all those new additions. Um, it's not really new additions. Those are guys that are in the system. Those, all those guys you mentioned are really fighting for one or two jobs. Right. And you, you include he, he had his list in his list. He had the Landria, Commando, Roberts, and Gardner. Joel Kiviranta will be in that list. I mean, essentially, you're going to have Corey Perry and Matthias Yamark. I think both have not have, have, will have played their final game in Dallas after this season. And since the Stars' big, the big, the big kind of push this summer will be signing a backup goalie, getting restricted free agent contracts for. Um, for uh, Hanson Gurianov and Foxa. And Foxa. Yep. So I think those holes are going to be filled by those guys you mentioned, but it's going to be a competition and training camp for those guys to see who comes in and wins those jobs and what role is open. We have a ways to go before we get there yeah. because of all the things we've discussed at the Quarkast preceding today and the yeah. other ones. But uh, Jim Nill has always shown a propensity to look for a relatively inexpensive free agent veteran either forward or defenseman to add to the depth and to create competition. Is there a scenario in on defense where you see him doing just that to give cover if Thomas Harley just isn't ready to be an everyday third-pairing defenseman? Does he add an, uh, an eighth defenseman on the NHL level aside from the group that we already mentioned? Well, this is a two-part question. Yes. Do I see him doing I, I, I easily could see him doing it. Yes. Not, I, I, I could easily see him doing it. Do I think he should do it? No. That's that's what I, that's right. That's, but he's I, done I, this I, on years before. Yeah, yeah, yes. No, I, I could easily see him doing it, going to get a UFA defenseman. I personally would not do that. I personally would trust Thomas Harley to play in the NHL and also realize that I have the depth down there to have to to fill a third pairing from within if needed. So I I. I um, I, it could easily happen. I don't think it should, but it could easily happen. And the way that we've seen in the past, I would not be surprised at all if it did. Just yeah. to, and again, that might be the situation where they bring in another depth defenseman, and then suddenly Taylor Fadoon might end up on waivers, or the other guy, if that's if they decide to carry seven instead of eight. Something to keep in mind down the future. Now, as far as the other part of the question, he was asking about a trade target. Who do you? Do you, are we even close to that yet? To me, I feel like we still have a lot to sort out before we think about. I mean, there's, because we were ta- you were talking about cap space earlier yeah. with Mark Janko, and it sure seems like the stars are going to be set up, even with the RFAs they have to sign. They could be in the mix to be in the conversation for a free agent, maybe up front, maybe to the detriment of those young guys trying to make the roster, but they could be a player if they decide other than at the backup goalie position. Yeah. I mean, I don't really. The problem is the, the people. If, if you're if you're asking for a trade, if you're asking for a player like Josh Anderson, um, you're giving up the other. A lot of the people who would want a player like Josh Anderson, you're giving up the. Columbus isn't going to just give up Josh Anderson for free. They're going to give up. They're going to want another player. They're not going to. They're going to want another good young player right. back. 
And I, I've, I've actually texted before with my colleague in Columbus about just the hypothetical of Josh Anderson because he's a player I like. I like Josh Anderson as a player. I think he's got a, a pretty good, bright future. But what does Aaron Portsline have to say about it? He says, like, well, I mean, okay. Our his response was his response was I'd like says okay. His first response back was, well, is Harley available? That was the first <laughs> response. No, no, and seriously, right. but, but no, and you may laugh at no, that. No, I'm laughing but, because but, the stars aren't trading Thomas Harley, but that's no, that's a fair ask the other way. No, but that is that is the realistic. We have to look around, like, because we can't. We always overvalue, over. We always overvalue what we have and undervalue what other people. Sure, have. everybody does it. And so everyone's like, oh well, they left. <laughs> you would want that guy? No, he's our best prospect. Well, okay, well, I'm not trading a good guy for nothing. So, uh, I, Chris, it's it's a good question and a good thought, but I think there's too many moving pieces right now without this with the salary cap and everything like that. And and frankly, um. I think the stars are kind of committed to this core and growing and growing from within. Like this could be a very quiet off season for the stars, as, as, aside from figuring out who the backup goalie is. Sure, and that's okay so, because yeah. just seeing the maybe maturation of a Harley or a Ro- Jason Robertson, maybe he's ready to step in and be part of the team on a full time basis. Or hey, Kiviranta. Maybe even Joel Lesperance finds his way in because I think I don't know if it'll be with Dallas. I still think Joel Lesperance. This is getting off topic now, but I think he's a guy that can be a NHL roster player somewhere. May not fit with Dallas, but I think he's good enough to play in the NHL full time. He can. He could. Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, Belfour's billion dollar bribe wrote in. What dragon movie did Sean end up going with? What are some of your favorite quote-unquote bad movies that you will argue to the death are in fact awesome? Those are two very different questions. So to set it up, Sean, was it yesterday you tweeted yesterday, out? Yesterday, yeah. Um, <laughs> that your daughter Evie is demanding, not asking, but demanding dragon movies and wanting yes. child appropriate for her age because, of course, our buddy Matt from the Dallas Morning News immediately <laughs> said Game of Thrones, which shows that two things. One is... Matt has a twisted sense of humor, and two, he doesn't have children. And Matt also has no idea has no idea what children's age are age appropriate for individual children either. <laughs> we've had this conversation, um, and so my daughter Evie has. We've watched through, and maybe not the maybe it's a little bit old, but then there's some maybe it's a little bit older than her age, and there's some violence in it. But we've watched uh, we watched the the two the the Hobbit trio during this. Uh, That's a little more this. advanced than I would have expected for her age. Yeah, it, it, it was type of movie where we put it on in the background and we could watch it. She's just kind of playing. Like the language is clean, and yes, there's some fighting and everything, but in relative, it's not as bad. Man, you're <laughs> gonna take her to her first R-rated movie when she's like 12. Her her mother is. Her oh, mother is. Her, is that, her mother she... likes. Her mother likes scary movies. Her oh, mother no. is. Oh, it's 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 All more right. of that's. Uh, but <laughs> the. Uh, but she. Smaug is in the uh, first two Hobbit movies, and uh, and she cheered whenever Smaug was on the screen. She cheered for Smaug, and she was very upset when Smaug died in the uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. So, uh, yeah, spoiler alert. I actually, so I've seen all the Lord of the Rings. I actually yeah. read the three Lord of the Rings books, yeah. which are wonderful. Yeah. I have not seen the Hobbit movies. It, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating that they took the Hobbit, which and now right. I'm showing... It's, they took The Hobbit, which is about this thick, and I'm showing my fingers about an inch thick, and made <laughs> it into three movies when The Lord of the Rings, each book is about this big. Yes, and they made and them so, just really long movies each. Oh, and each Hobbit movie is two and a half hours. Ooh. 
Yeah, see, I so think that's why I, I I really enjoy that whole uh, yeah. realm. But I they're I don't. They're 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 good. The movies are good, and especially in a time like this, they're worth watching. Sure. So they they are. Um, any any and, bad movies? Ones that are but, considered but I, bad wait, 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 by wait, wait, most? I, I have to answer oh, the question. Okay. So, yes. so we ended up we ended up watching How to Train Your Dragon yesterday. Um, awesome movie. Awesome movie. However, not nearly the desolation of smog type dragon she was expecting. And so she kept looking at Toothless, the dragon in that movie, and meowing and calling it a kitty cat. Man, you have some education <laughs> to pass on, I think here. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're probably gonna try. The other good thing about the How to Train Your Dragon series, though, is I've discovered there are three movies, and they made six seasons of a TV show. So it could be a good uh, filler for for future things. Um, the bad movie question. So I. I will not argue that it's good, but the bad movie that I've watched over and over again, and my best man even quoted at my wedding, uh, is Blade Trinity. It is not a good movie. <laughs> but <laughs> It's entertaining. I've it's seen entertaining. it. It's entertaining. It is the backstory. It is almost as the, I don't know if, if you ever look up, uh, if you ever look up the backstory for like how Wesley Snipes went crazy during the filming of this movie. It's, it's 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 worth reading because Pat Nas Pat Oswald did a great interview about it about how when they were filming Blade Trinity Wesley Snipes would only be referred to as Blade he went full method actor oh, no. like he like he would only come out of his trailer if you called him Blade like he was very <laughs> he went a bit psycho well um, you want to make sure that you play the sci-fi vampire killers properly yeah. you don't want to do them justice yeah and so it is I am not arguing it is a good movie but it is a movie I have watched. Hundreds of times, <laughs> I, I love it. I will my, one of my best friend, my best friend Mich- Kevin. I will uh, text. We will text random Blade Trinity quotes to each other. Sometimes it is. Yeah, it's a good bad movie. I have a whole list of movies that I get stuck watching when they're on. Um, I don't know if it is tagged as a bad movie, um, but I watch the football movie The Replacements whenever it's on. Yeah. Um, There's just something about it that I laugh at every time, and I think it's great. I don't know if I think it's a phenomenal movie as far as, you know, award-winning or anything like that, but that's one that I always call – my wife calls it my – it's my replacements, and any other movie that happens to be like that, she'll say, oh, it's another one of your replacements. For example, I will watch the movie A Knight's Tale anytime it's on. Love that movie. Um, Yeah. If Sahara shows up, that one maybe not as a classic, well, you know, oiled machine yeah. as far as the critics hype, but I love it and I get stuck watching those. So I don't know if they're, it's not like people saying, oh, you're, you've been rocking out to Nickelback for years, but those yeah. are ones that I'll, if they're on, I'll leave it on. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, and it just kind of, I guess, goes to the movie thing for me. And I've noticed this may be something that you can kind of maybe tell me from experience as someone who has had kids much longer than I have. The flipping through the channels and turning on a random movie does not happen as much anymore. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, you have to do it with the guide, right? It yeah. used, to, I mean, you you have to go harken back to days where you didn't have an on-screen TV guide, yeah. where you would just change channels or you would jump to the channel numbers you knew that might be good and see yeah. what's on now, or or actually subscribe to the TV guide or the one that was printed out in the local paper, which we used yeah. to get. It would be like the weekly and flip through and say, oh, what's going to be on now? So, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. You can't just you can't just start watching John Wick in the middle of the afternoon when the kids are home. 
And the other thing, too, is we've kind of lost that flip into a movie at random time culture since everything is now on demand. I mean, so much of if I'm watching a movie, I'm going to go scroll through Netflix. And so there's certain movies that are probably so bad that are in that character. Right. Like, well, I'm, I'm not going to willingly pick this to stream. But if it was on TNT or TBS, you know what? Maybe I would. And those are the channels that you end up getting hooked watching movies that are yeah. because they're on and you're like, oh, we'll just let it go. You're right. The yeah. funny thing is that I don't typically because i have direct tv and they have that you know start from the beginning so you basically go back and stream the start of that movie if you want i don't usually take advantage of that feature i just oh well this is when the movie's on and i'll start watching it yeah but i suppose i could there the one movie that i remember watch uh, i've probably watched like i think it was because it was on tnt or tbs or whatever it was on for the one that always pops into my mind is one of those movies i probably always Zoop caught on like midway through is uh, the, the the Will Smith movie I Am Legend. Ah, like, I yes. Remember, I, I remember seeing that. I it, it's not a movie that I actively sought out, but it's just one that always pops into my head. Is I've seen probably a dozen times in my life. Like starting like oh oh they're halfway through. He's about to fight this zombie or that. But like things where it's like <laughs> you know it's a movie that's like that that I like, but I have seen it all the way through. But it's always on. I actually think it's not a bad movie. It's a good movie, but I, it's just I think it's overplayed right now. Is the Mark Wahlberg movie Shooter? I feel like on the movie channels, I've seen that one a couple times. Like yeah, TBS, TNT, FX. I feel like all those channels they have them on. It's always on. Hey, Shooter's on again. Now I actually like the movie, but at some point when it's on at nauseum, you might go, "Okay, I've had enough." Yeah. All right, we could talk movies for a while, and we have. Gallup yeah. Gus writes in, my buddy Raichu Rocks 99 and I were discussing the five best goaltenders in Dallas Stars history, and we felt both felt Dobby had done enough to make the list despite being a 1B. We were wondering if the Quarkast duo agreed and who would y'all put on the list. And Sean, you actually then asked a follow-up question later on about that, so I'll let you answer the yeah. response. I was just curious because of whether they were talking top five, in, like individual or overall body work, because there's two different ways. Right, to career or single season. Yeah. And so they said overall body of work. And so for me, and I look at this question, I suppose the, the five best goaltenders in Dallas Stars history, the question becomes, so there's four right away that pop into mind, right? There's there's Ed Belfour, Marty Turco, Kari Lattinen, and Ben Bishop. Yes. Those, those, those are the four right away. They're and also so the coincidentally the starting goalies in succession. Yes. And so the, the, the other, the question becomes basically for me at least is, um, how do you look at Anton Hudobin's two season as two seasons as a backup goalie, a one B compared to what Andy Moog did for the first four or five years in Dallas? Right, and that's and to me that's the debate. And right, look because at area. under Kari Lettinen, yeah. when he was the starter, the Stars did not have a lot of really solid, capable play from their backups. Not saying no. that some of the backups weren't good goaltenders, just that yeah. they never got the kind of production out of them that was required. Kari was playing 60, 65 games a year, and they weren't getting a lot of wins when he wasn't in the net. And the other and the other backups that were behind Belfour in, in the past, they weren't here long enough to where right. they basically fall right on the hood. Because, you know, like Mike Smith, yeah. great career, but not much yeah. with Dallas. Um, of course, yeah. that was farther along. Roman Turk yeah. had his moments. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's the other question. I mean, I guess Roman Turk is a fair is a fair one to throw in the conversation. Of, yep. uh, uh, Roman Turk's probably the other one you could throw into the conversation. There's Moog, there's Turek, there's Hudobin. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me right now, I 
the obviously the arrow wasn't his numbers don't look as good because save percentages were lower at that time and you look at how goalies but it's hard for me right now to take Andy Moog was a pretty good goalie for this franchise and to me Andy Moog is still in that list and he was a five. fabulous goalie in his and, NHL career so and so and yeah. so like I, it's hard for me to to bump Moog out of the top five um, for. And, and then if I'm doing so, I'd have to probably take a deeper look at Turek's time. I mean, I think at, at first glance, I would put Hudobin over Turek, but Turek also obviously was, was very good when he was here. And so uh, I to me, five is still Moog, but I I think Hudobin would have to re-sign here to kind of eventually t- to bump him out of those it's top It's close, five. though. It's, it's a yeah. decent argument. It's, it's worth an argument, but... Crawdaddy writes in with the hospitality business being hit hard right now. Do either of you see a decline in Tom Gallardi, the star's owner's willingness to spend on free agents or long-term contract extensions? Um, at this moment, no, but obviously this whole, however long this pandemic goes, the longer the pandemic goes, the harder Tom Gallardi's core businesses of restaurants and hotels are going to be hit and obviously one of the main reasons that the stars did the stars waited as long as they could before putting employees on furlough as they did uh, starting tomorrow uh, monday um but one of the main reasons they finally had to do so was because of the main businesses for galardi have been just rocked i mean it's been it's just a, it's just a fact of life um Tom Gillardi has committed to winning in Dallas. He has committed to Dallas. He's, he recently bought the land around the arena to build a new flagship hotel. He wants to be. A, he wants a winning team there. Um, he's someone who who's a big believer in that. So as of right now, there's not a change. But obviously, if this continues and we get to the point where there are. Um, if we if we get if this continues and, and this continues we get to a point of well I don't want to I can't spend on those big extensions and and the other the other trend and maybe this this may make some people happy frankly actually this may be one of the this it could lead to the I don't want you to spend two point five million dollars to sign someone like Blake Como or whatever Blake Como's contract is I want you to fill it with the with the with the guy up from the AHL, like that's just something where I could see in the long term. But as of right now, I don't think we're at that point yet. I think we need to kind of see where this goes. Obviously. Yep, I'm with you on that. Um, Ardell wrote in, "Tell me about Cedar Park and the 2014 Calder Cup run. What players were on that team? Please share some recollections and memories of that team, their run, and some of the players you both knew well." Um, the AHL just played the clinching game five of the 2014 Calder Cup final a couple of nights ago on their YouTube channel. And it was fun for me to watch some of that, Sean, just because I had never seen the Toronto Marlies slash Maple Leafs uh, broadcast that they did because I was calling the game myself. Yeah. So that was kind of fun, although it also is a bit of a detractor because I love... Todd Crocker and Bob Begill who called it, but they weren't the Texas Stars or uh, or St. John's Ice Caps broadcasters, so they just didn't know them as well as we did. Uh, but that's that's to happen when you have any you know neutral broadcast. That team for the Texas Stars, you followed it uh, as much as I did, as covering it as a, me- a member of the media. 
was a really special AHL team. And I could talk about like we could do a two-hour two podcast about that team easily. Yep. Uh, between all the players that were there, there are a few holdovers from that. Obviously, Justin Dowling with the and Roddick Foxa with and the Jamie Alexiak. and Jamie, Jamie Alexiak were all on that team. Um, other, there were a lot of the guys that played in Dallas, right? Max Fortunas played games with the Stars. Yerky Yokipaka was a player on that team. Patrick Nemeth was on that team. Um, Christopher Nilstorp and Jack Campbell were the goalies. She, uh, Brett Ritchie was there. McKen- Curtis McKenzie. Uh, amazingly, this is the one I always go back to. Colton Sevier scored 30 goals in the AHL that year, got called up and couldn't get sent back down because they were afraid of losing him at waivers. And so the Texas Stars won without Colton Sevier. They were an amazing team. Now, they did acquire yeah. Dust- Dustin Jeffrey to add to Chris Mueller, a little AHL depth there for veterans. But they could have had added Colton Sevier to that team. It would have been even more vicious. I mean, that, that's a team where that was throughout the season, it felt like. And it, it's hard to make this claim in the AHL because there's no cross-conference play. So it's not like there was a barnstorming across Eastern teams. But... It still felt throughout that year. It wasn't as much of, it wasn't as much of, can Texas win a title? Of will they? Will they of, 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 not even will they. Of who will they beat to win the title? That's almost what it felt like. like True. The, although in yeah, the yeah. in the conference final against the Toronto Marlies, it there was a point in Game Seven, which by the way is one of my favorite games I've ever done, where I thought the Stars were going to lose because they were down two and almost three in the second period. Yeah. And they, and they were pushed in that series, but in that, yes. in, that, in, that, in that final series against St. John's, I mean, yes, they lost game one. Uh, no, sorry, game two. They game lost two. Game, they, they, they smoked lost, them in game one. They, they lost game two, but they smoked the shot count in game two. But even going to St. John's, it was the type of thing where going into that series, it didn't feel like St. John's ever had a chance, to be frank. No, like I, like, I just didn't. Uh, yeah, you're right. It felt like they were going to be the better team. It's just a question of how long was it going to take. Now, yeah. they had to come back in all three games of the – the road trip, which was separated by a, what was it, a four or five day layover between games three and four, for the uh, Canadian Anesthesiologist Convention. <laughs> it was something else, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember spending a lot of time in a beautiful place in St. John's. It's gorgeous up there, but just at that point, you were. I mean, it was like quarantine. Like, what do I have to do today? Like, I'm literally killing time. Yeah, my favorite, and, my, and I'll end this before we move on to the next question. My favorite comment about that whole thing. So Patrick Nemeth scores the game-winning goal. In yeah, game I like this overtime. one too. And I remember talking to Willie Desjardins after after the game-winning goal was scored, and he said, "I was like, I was certain it was Travis Moore. There was no way Patrick Nemeth made that move." <laughs> <laughs> that so, was great because he didn't yeah. see it very well. But boy, that was fun. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting was is Paul Hendricks. Uh, is one of the guys on the Maple Leafs broadcast uh, for Toronto TV. And he does a great job as a sideline reporter. And, Sean, he tried to interview Travis Morin after he was announced as the MVP of the playoffs. And the AHL didn't mess around. They were handing out the Calder Cup almost immediately after. So as Travis Morin is being interviewed... Max Fortunas has the cup in his hands and starts to go to his team. And Travis very politely goes, I've got to go right now. Yeah. And and heads off because Morin really was the next guy to get the cup. But he was in the middle of an interview. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, Andrea writes in, have we talked about snacks yet? Go to, go to quarantine snack. Last ice cream flavor you had. Anything you missed that you can't get right now. Food rabbit hole, go. 
Another uh, two-hour question. Uh, last ice cream I had, I made I made a mint chocolate chip milkshakes the other day. Nice. That was uh, that was pretty good. Um, uh, as far as anything you miss that you can't get right now, uh, <laughs> Clorox, think, Clorox wipes. No, we've got those. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think the. Uh, I mean, one of, just one of the big adjustments, I think, has been just you're eating just kind of the adjustment of basically five to six days a week, you're eating all three meals at home uh, now, which has been not an adjustment. I think it's been more of an adjustment for me than like, because my wife works from home. And so it's not like she left the house. It's not like she would be leaving the house for, for, for lunch or anything like that. And so for me, I think kind of it's been interesting to go and have dinner at home every night, just because that's something where... I try with with the travel and the NHL schedule. A lot of times, dinner is something yep. at at an arena um, or on the road or something like that. So it's been interesting to just have dinner at home every night. I really enjoyed it actually. I've, I've really enjoyed being able to have dinner. I think with my it's relative. I think it's generally healthier too. It is. It is. You, you're you're less likely because when you're when you're at the arena, oh, or you'll eat whatever they throw uh, out there. You'll eat whatever they throw out there. And the same thing when you're on the road. You're like, oh, well, you know what. Uh, yeah, I'll have some more. Like I'm, like. Or, or the other side is you like to sample the local cuisine that they're known for, and a lot of times the the go to food of a region isn't necessarily the healthiest option. Oh no, it's not. No, no. <laughs> uh, I uh, there there are some places where I've eaten very poorly on the road. So, <laughs> but well, uh, but poorly. I mean, yeah. So I, I think that I mean, if there's anything I miss, like. Um, Anything you miss, you can't get right now. There's nothing in Dallas I miss that I can't get right now, but there are certain things, and like, there are certain places on the road that I would have, I would enjoy to be able to eat right now. Like, um, like for example, we would have been in early April. We would have been in LA, and one of my favorite places to eat is the Original Pantry in LA. I knew you were gonna bring that up. <laughs> and I really enjoy eating there i mean it's funny i've i've had this conversation with with matt defranks before about <laughs> where uh there have been times where i've thought about a restaurant and i've put on the calendar like oh i'm gonna go eat at this place and my wife and i christina have a shared calendar and she'll be like did you really put a restaurant you're gonna go eat at in new jersey on the calendar <laughs> like like, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna go to Rut's Hut, and I'm gonna get a hot dog. It's and something like, that you get excited for, and say, I can't wait to go back here because they have this place, which you can't get at where you live. Yes, and so typically, I, I don't really eat out as much at my house in general. So it's not like we've really been missing out as much. Uh, I, I haven't been missing out as much on that. I mean, we do get some, we get some food occasionally because there's sometimes you just like, like last night we, we got Taco Bell last night for dinner. It was just one of those, like we've had, we've had, we've been making meals and you know what, let's just, it's, it's cheap. It's easy. And I need some trash food. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you're right. You need to, you need a break from that every now and then. Yeah. Yep. So, um, the ice cream I had last, since I'll answer the question, was uh, peaches and cream from Tillamook Farms. It's a relatively new offering, at least at our grocery store. They didn't have the peach ice cream from Tillamook before, and it is top-notch. Although all the ice cream they make I've really liked. The one I can't get is the one I've whined about for years now. Is My favorite flavor of Bluebell ice cream, which they stopped making after the Listeria outbreak shut their factory down for a while. 
or at least I don't know if they've stopped making it because I haven't been able to find it. It's coconut fudge. It was uh, coconut ice cream with fudge swirl through it and then little coconut flakes mixed in as well. And it was incredible. Used to get it down in Cedar Park. They started finding it up in Dallas. Uh, it was a little bit harder to find. But then after the, the outbreak that they went through a couple years ago, I haven't found it since. So that would be one that – but that's not a quarantine – uh, lacking. It's just yeah. in general, I haven't been able to find that. And there, there's a, a. I'm not obsessed with coconut ice cream, but it's one that I do like to throw in the rotation. And they don't have it much down here, but there's a couple up north, including a great Maine ice cream maker called Giffords, which actually uh-huh. I think is a big sponsor of the Red Sox now. But they have one called Toasted Coconut, which is coconut ice cream, and then they mix in coconut flakes that are coated in chocolate. Ooh, oh, you'd love it. It's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, we could do more snacks. Let's move on. Oleg, yeah. all of the 99 playoff games have been a treat to watch, except for the out-of-market fans that cannot watch them. Any chance they might be available via some other medium for these fans? Yeah, that's um, tough. It's really a Fox Sports Southwest endeavor right now. It's tough. I mean, the other thing, too, is... Um, and I don't. I, I have no idea how the rights to those games work. Like I don't know. Like that. This is this is a this is a territory. I don't know how what the right answer is. Like I don't know who owns the rights to the '99 Stanley Cup Finals. I don't like, either. I don't, like I, I don't. I don't know how that works. But Fox Sports Southwest, for example, is not going to make them available on YouTube or whatever because then people in Dallas will just watch them on YouTube and not watch. Like Fox Sports Southwest, if by I actually. My one criticism of them with doing this is they haven't put all the games. I would love to see the losses. Like, I, like I would love to be able to watch the whole run. Like, obviously, there was game five and six against St. Louis last night, um, which I DVR'd, and I know game three and four were not shown. It's much more fun to watch a playoff series having watched game three and all four. the way through. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so that's my criticism. Because those are the games, Sean. I haven't watched all of those games. I just haven't, right? Now, they may have them on YouTube. I haven't gone to look to see if there's a way you can see them. but um, I have not seen them publicly on YouTube. Yeah, Uh, but the thing is that I would like to watch all of them because uh, back in 99, I was in college, and I was in the Eastern Conference, and I was going to school in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So obviously, the games that were more available for me to watch, especially those early round games, and I was also in college, so I wasn't just watching hockey the whole time, were not the Dallas Stars' early round games. I'd love to see all of them, not just the wins. Well, and, and let's be honest, too. The broadcast quality from 99 is not the type of quality that kept that would have kept a 20-year-old, a t- however old, a 20, 21-year-old sure. in that night. It's not like the HD, like you've seen the broadcast. It's such a difference. And, but you know what's yeah. funny is back then I feel like we didn't notice any, we didn't know any better. No, that's, that's true. No, that's true. But it's not like there was even like, oh, let's get around this big TV. The TV wasn't even big enough well, to be like. It's crazy because I remember when I was a little kid, we had a 13-inch TV and we would crowd around that like it was, like yeah. it was, uh, that was it. Right? You just didn't... Yeah. I, now, I do give, if you yeah. had a 13-inch TV right now, you'd say, well, that's the size of a small laptop. We're not crowding yeah. around to watch that. I just, so, Well, I give the criticism for not showing the losses. Um, I will give Fox Sports Southwest credit for turning it into a bit of an event. Yes. One thing, like they've turned it, you see people are tweeting about it, you've seen people talking about it, and if they made them available on another medium, Fox Sports Southwest would lose that captive event right. they created... And so that's why they're not going to do it. And, and, and unfortunately, it kind of it sucks for. And so maybe maybe 
I don't know if anyone on Fox Sports Southwest is listening to this, but so maybe after they finish their run of showing the games, maybe a week later or so, they could put them all all online or something. I don't know, but it's the type of thing where they're not going to give up that event that they've kind of created. All right, let's so. get to the last two here uh, that okay. we can two more, and then we'll call it a day. Florian writes in, "What sports system do you like more, the American franchise or the classic European club model?" Hmm. I mean, here's it's very different. So the yeah. the American franchise is the idea that the team owns the minor league system, right? Mm-hmm. Like baseball yeah. or hockey or any other ones that have a minor league. Uh, obviously, baseball has the most affiliates, where it's major league, then triple A, double A, various levels of single A, rookie ball, short season, that kind of stuff. Um, the European club model is obviously mostly well known in soccer of that the club owns, they have a first team, and then they have a support structure of a reserve team, youth academy, growth and development all the way up. Obviously, in the American system, not counting MLS, because MLS does have academies now at pretty much all of their their teams. But for, you know, for example, for hockey, that would be like hockey, you know, the Dallas Stars owning a junior team in, in Canada or a college yeah. hockey team as well, and having players going yeah. in and out as part of their development model, instead of drafting players, basically trying to sign players when they're uh, unattached youth. So I, I under so here's what it, um, in a perfect <coughs> world, I, in a perfect world, I really like the European club model because I think it kind of creates kind of that homegrown feel that that club you grew up with. I I, I really like it. However, it wouldn't work in the NHL because if it would work in the NHL because all of the NHL teams would be in those traditional hockey markets. We wouldn't have an NHL team in Dallas. It's just, it's just, we, we you could maybe start one now, but yeah. you're talking about you're, like, you're not going to have the system for Toronto. The Toronto Maple Leafs would be a, would be a, would be, would win every Stanley. Well, Cup. you'd have a lot bigger uh, talent pool to draw from that way. But then again, yeah. that's, but, th- but that happens around the world, right? So yeah, then, te- then scouts and teams start finding the hotbeds and trying to recruit players into their system or buying or selling players because you say they might have the advantage in Toronto because of all the youth system players up there, but they only have so many roster spots. So then you start pulling. Oh. It would just be, okay, well, we're the vaunted Maple Leafs Academy is now uh, sending products to players, teams around the <laughs> NHL. But, but if you had the club system, if you had the club system, the Toronto Maple Leafs would win more Stanley Cups than any other team. Because I wouldn't you, like that. They would, but that's what would happen. No, yeah, I, I, I know, but that's what would happen. You would keep, they, they would keep the best players. They would be the richest team because they could create the market and selling players off. Um, so it just, that, that's what would happen. The um, thing I, I like about it, it would be the idea of promotion and relegation. I think that would be a lot of yeah. fun. That to me is the one thing that I would love to see in American sports. Yes. Now, I know... American sports are so attached to the draft, which is creates kind of a tricky situation because I don't know how a draft can work with promotion and relegation. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. it's so no, it doesn't cause they don't draft in those leagues yeah, because no. they, yeah, it's a different system. All right. Last question. Uh, Jared Wright it's in, uh, read an article in the athletic about Thomas Harley. There seems to be a lot of criticism that Dallas doesn't develop their young talent. Honk of failure, often a reference point. Is this fair or just armchair GM commentary? I think Honka just wasn't very good. What do you think? 
Um, it's a combination of things. I think people, I mean, I saw all those comments. I actually had to jump in there and make a joke because Scott Wheeler wrote that story and he wrote about how optimistic, because uh, Scott's big, the big crux of Scott's story, which you should go read, but the big crux of Scott's story is Harley will be an NHL player. The question is whether he gets allowed to be, does he get the, 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 the long leash and is allowed to roam and become this player, this high level, higher level player than he could be if he gets kind of, asked to become a third pairing guy and stick in that role forever. So, uh, and the, obviously the big criticism that for many of the comments were, oh, well, Dallas will just pull all of the, take all of the creativity out of him and, for, and turn him and, and waste a, and waste this what he could be. Um, I understand some of those criticisms and I, I, I think there are some, there are some criticisms that are fair. I also think there is, People have to remember there are exceptions. The the stars let Miro Heiskanen be Miro Heiskanen right away. There wasn't anything. They let John Klingberg be John Klingberg right away. There are exceptions to the rules where while certain players are get typecast into certain ways, there are certain talent players or certain level players that get that because of who they are, they're given the opportunity to to have that leash. And I think Harley, especially with Jim, with how Jim Nill and talking to people in the organization. That that I believe that's the plan with him. Um, I and I also I think the other thing about Julius Honka that is um, that the big thing about Julius Honka that just comes into play is the stars didn't the stars are at fault for what happened partially, but Julius Honka is also at fault too, and I think that always gets forgotten because Julius Honka had the opportunity. So last season, John Klingberg gets hurt, and the stars. Um, and, and and the and Jim Montgomery, Jim Montgomery told me point blank at the time, we want Julius Honka to take this opportunity and run our power play and be the guy. And they gave him that opportunity. They played about, him. They played him for about five six games, and he didn't do anything. Yeah, just he, he he didn't do anything. And 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 whether, and I know he went through some trials and tribulations with Ken Hitchcock that may have messed him up a little bit or whatever. But when he was given the opportunity by Jim Montgomery, he did nothing with it. And, and then when he went to Finland this year, when he was in theory going to bigger ice where he would dominate games and everything like that, I watched a couple of those games. Yeah, he was okay, but nothing about like nothing about him said, Oh, this guy is, is, is great. I mean, I, I, early on, I was, I was a big, I will say I was one of the people when Julius Hockett first came in, I was like, Oh, he's going to be great. He's going to be tremendous. And he never lived up to that. I was wrong. And I'm okay saying that Julius Honka wasn't that good. It wasn't as good as people made him out to be. He could have been better, and that's both on him and the stars. But to to say his failure, to take Honka's personal failures and say Harley will have personal failures because of that isn't fair to Thomas no. Harley. So, Yeah, I think you've pretty much said it all. So yeah. we'll leave it at that. Um, great it's amazing, Sean, how it seemed like we were going to have our more most concise, controlled, shortest car quarkcast ever, and then we just crushed a forty-minute lightning round. But those good questions. Those good were really questions. Good questions. Yeah, yeah. I, I sparked debate. It's amazing every week how much we have to talk about when nothing really has changed. Yeah. In six weeks or so. So, mm-hmm. all right. So that does it for this episode. We have. Of course, another one planned for next week and on and on, and we'll see how it goes. And uh, you never know, Sean. Uh, maybe maybe eating Taco Bell is the answer. Maybe. Who knows? Thanks for listening. Have a good week.